0: we Matthew 12, verses 22 to 32. Then they brought him a demon-possessed man who was blind and mute, and Jesus healed him so that he could both talk and see. All the people were astonished and said, Could this be the son of David? But when the Pharisees heard this, they said, It is only by Beelzebul. The prince of demons that this fellow drives out demons. Jesus knew their thoughts and said to them Every kingdom divided against itself will be ruined, and every city or household divided against itself will not stand. If Satan drives out Satan, he's divided against himself. How then can his kingdom stand? And if I drive out demons by Beelzebul, by whom do your people drive them out? So then they will be your judges. But if it is by the spirit of God that I drive out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. Or again, how can anyone enter a strong man's house and carry off his possessions unless he first ties up that man? Then he can plunder his house. Whoever is not with me is against me, and whoever does not gather with me scatters. And so I tell you every kind of sin and slander can be forgiven, but blasphemy against the Spirit will not be forgiven. Anyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven, but anyone who speaks against the Holy Spirit, will not be forgiven, either in this age, or in the age to come.
1: When I was growing up, it doesn't matter which car my father bought, this green tin made its journey with us. It contained mint Imperials. They were rock-hard, cavity-forming, teeth-breaking, sweets. They were sweets with character. They're the kind of sweets that you could give to a child and it would be at least 10 minutes or 8 miles, 10 miles later before you could utter a word because you're working on the sweet, perking it around your mouth and it's just like a, a gobstopper. Someone's laughing. Can you resonate with this? <laughs> just imagining the scene. They were, they were sweets that were designed by a parent perfectly in, in, a, in a factory just to keep a child quiet. The Mint Imperial. Sometimes when it comes to Jesus' sayings, they are very much like gobstoppers or mint imperials. They are not soft, melt-in-your-mouth sweets. I say that because of verses 31 and 32 of Matthew 12. There is so much confusion over these verses. There is so much heartache. There has been so much consternation and ink written about these verses that I think it's important, as tempting as it is, to skip over them to engage with them this morning. And I think we need to do some careful thought about these two sentences that Jesus says. They describe the the depth of the love of Jesus, the wellspring of life that is the love, the, the, the divine love from all eternity. And very easy for us it is to skip over this first point and go straight to the problem of forgiveness. There are in these sentences a lot to concern us. There is a lot of uh, spiritual health warnings. There's, there's lots of bewareness about these sentences because it talks of the problem of forgiveness. But let's not skip over the depth and height and width of divine love. So there's a key question, isn't there, in society and in life? Is there something that is so bad, so heinous, so deep, so grievous that it's unforgivable? If you were to do that, you say to your spouse, that would bring our relationship to an end. What would that be? If that sin were committed, if that act were made manifest that you think about, that would be unforgivable. You would not forgive me if I were to do that. What would that be in your mind? These sentences talk to us about the problem of forgiveness. Let's look at that first, the problem of forgiveness. Look at sentence 32. Anyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven. It's the depth of the divine love. But anyone who speaks against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven, either in this age or in the age to come. There's a paradox in these sentences that wrestle with these two elements, the depth of the love of God and the reality and the costliness of forgiveness. Look at the first thing that uh, Jesus says, the first half of verse 32. Anyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven. There's a take-it-to-the-bank promise, cast iron from God, uh, written out, sealed, signed and delivered promise. Anyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven. Now, who's he? We we use that title in a song that the kids sang before they left us. This is referring to Daniel chapter 7. This is an Old Testament quotation. This is a title that describes who Jesus is. He takes it up upon himself. And it's about 20 times in Matthew's Gospels, Jesus described as the Son of Man, the one to whom Daniel was looking forward to. The one who was to come. Jesus is the son of David, but he's also son of man. He is human, but he's also divine. And this person, the son of man, that Daniel 7 points to in the Old Testament, he is one of extreme royalty to the max. He's not someone who would feature in The Crown on Netflix. He's even higher than that. He's royalty to the max. When you uh, think of royalty, you may think of this wonderful Netflix series. You may think of... uh, Liz up at Buck Palace or someone like that but when it came to ancient antiquity when there were kings and queens of old you would not speak flippantly of a king or a queen think of uh, the time of Queen uh, Esther in Persia before she was queen she approached the king if you were to approach the king without his uh, willingness it was a It was an offence for which you could lose your head quite readily. If you were to speak a word without his bidding, you could lose your head as well. Unless he touched you with the tip of his scepter, honouring your offering of words or deeds or something that you bought before him, you would be showing him disrespect and it was punishable by death. Unless he said to you, come and speak. Unless you spoke to him in the right way. O king, live forever. All that stuff. Just great big uh, glorious utterances. Unless you spoke in the right way. Unless you retreated with your face to the ground. You would be in grave trouble. But look at the difference of King Jesus as he speaks. Verse 32a. Anyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man, Jesus Christ, Son of David, Son of Man, anyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man, Jesus, will be forgiven. That's an enormous claim that we just kind of cross over very quickly, like you would a footbridge. Here in the pages of the New Testament, not the old, you have Jesus, the healer, Jesus, the teacher, Jesus, the sin forgiver, Jesus, the saviour of the world, who dies outside of Jerusalem, who's raised on the third day by his Father in heaven for salvation, for victory that we thought about last week. All these claims that no human uh, or earthly king or queen could ever say. And yet they would would take your head off if you said the wrong words or presented the wrong gifts or looked in the wrong way. But Jesus says, with all these claims that no other earthly king can have, he never says, how dare you speak to me like that. Jesus never said that. Jesus never threw kids out of his... uh, His sphere of influence, he said, come and sit on my lap. He welcomed the outcast. he healed the leper. He had home and love, divine love in abundance for everybody. And yet Jesus, when he was on the cross, had people mocking him, crushing him, spitting him, spearing him. And what does Jesus say? Father, forgive them. He is a king like no one else. And we need to say that because the first half of verse 31 and 32 is so important. Verse 32: Anyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven. You can speak against Jesus, you can repent, you can use his name as a swear word for most of your life, you can say sorry and mean it, and you can be forgiven, says that sentence. It's very problematic for us. It's the, the depth of divine love that's like Niagara Falls. This endless torrent of water that is just so loud. We paid too much money to go and get wet beneath it on a big boat when you could just jump in the shower. But there was something to it. You needed to get close to, to feel its force. And here we have the depth of the divine love of God. You can do anything externally, says Jesus, And if you repent, if you say sorry and mean it to me, there is forgiveness in abundance. But do not pit my holiness against my love, says Jesus. There's an old uh, French philosopher. I don't have it as a habit to read them, but in my spare time, I was looking at some Voltaire. And he said, he said this, are you worried, someone asked him, are you worried that if there's a God, he says, no, I'm not worried. If there is a God, I don't think there is, but if there is one, he'll forgive me. Why? That's his job. That's his job. This passage is saying, no, it's not. There is a depth to the divine love of Jesus. It's so deep, it's so vast, it's ocean-like, like the Niagara Falls. You can sense its power and its depth and its might. But forgiveness is a problem. Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, was a minister up in central London a few decades ago, says forgiveness is a problem even for God. Forgiveness is the greatest problem in the whole universe. In Genesis chapter 1, God said, let there be light and there was. God said and there was. There's a pattern and there's a rhythm to the first chapter of the Bible. But in Genesis chapter 3, when God says, let there be salvation and forgiveness, it was centuries before it came off, says Martin Lloyd-Jones. There is forgiveness. It's in the person of Jesus. There is salvation and there's a saviour and a rescuer. But it's very difficult and it's very, very costly. It's the problem of forgiveness. And until you see the depth of the problem that it took centuries for God to provide a sacrifice in his divine forbearance, in his planning, if you don't see the depth and the costliness of forgiveness, if you don't see the costliness of the love of Jesus, you're, not just, you're just scratching the surface of the gospel. You won't understand it. You won't appreciate it. You can say the words amazing grace, but you'll never feel it. And so you see the problem of forgiveness. But then secondarily, the power of repentance. It's the problem of forgiveness. How is it going to happen? It's the paradox. But then there's the power of repentance. Look at sentence 31 of Matthew chapter 12. Jesus says, So I tell you, every, notice that word, every sin and blasphemy, speaking against God, not giving him the respect that he deserves, Every sin and blasphemy will be forgiven men and women as well. But the blasphemy against the Spirit will not be forgiven. Now you can read that and you can think, aha, here's another evidence of contradiction. And One, in the same sentence, Jesus is saying forgiveness and then he's saying not. But like any good teacher, I think Jesus wants to think in two ways. He wants us to suck on the mint imperial to see its depth and its value and its, its tastiness and its importance and weight. And I think he wants us to think about it in two ways, externally and internally. I think Jesus wants to think about uh, sin externally and internally. Look at the uh, first verse, sentence 31. Every sin and blasphemy will be forgiven men and women. That, that's thinking about external things, every external action that you can think of. Every uh, physical sin, every sin of omission, something, something that you should have done. Every physical action. All the big stuff of murder, but at the same time all, this, all the unkind actions of, of taking something that's not yours. We, we, we classify sin in a way that God doesn't. But here is Jesus claiming that there is no external sin, no deed, no word that you say. I'm so sorry for the pain I caused you. Father, please help me to change. There's no sin, there's no action, there's no deed that by itself cannot be pardoned. Remember the the depth of divine love. That's what the Bible says, not just here. It says it everywhere. There's nothing you can't do, do actions, external sin, that makes you and pushes you outside of the love of God. Look at Isaiah 1, or listen to it. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. God does not say... Every sin can be forgiven apart from. There's no clause. It's, it's a bit like every mother and father's nightmare when it comes to the personal advert that promises so much and delivers just a bit less. That muddy stain, that sweaty collar from a boy's neck and the same shirt that's been worn for a whole term. I'm not looking at anyone with teenage sweat. But uh, that, that's the issue. There are some stains that you just cannot get out and you throw the shirt away. God never throws people away. There's a depth and a power to the the blood of Jesus that washes away almost all, nearly every, no, every sin. Your sins are like scarlet, they're blood-like, but the blood of Jesus makes them pure. They're paid for. Every sin can be forgiven. That's external. Paul, Paul was a murderer. And yet he's an apostle and he takes the gospel to the Gentiles and to the whole world, you could say. David, well, he arranged for adultery and he arranged for murder to cover it up. Paul, David, others that the Bible says every sin is forgivable. Every sin against the Son of Man will be forgiven. It's external, but then I think there's a, there's a change. Let's read the second part internally. Anyone who speaks... Word against the Son of Man will be forgiven, but, clause, exception, but anyone who speaks against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven, even in this age or the age to come. If A is external, well, B is internal. From actions, we now go to motivation. From deeds, we go to thoughts. And it's an issue of the heart. This is what I think Jesus is saying. If you resist the work of the Holy Spirit, whose job it is to lead you to repentance? whose job it is to show you your need of the Lord Jesus as a saviour, then, in that case in that case alone, if you are turned away from the love of God, if you think there's another way that you can be rescued, there's no forgiveness for you. That's the job of the person of the Holy Spirit. It's his job to speak, to choose, to send, to teach, to give. But because the Holy Spirit is a person, not a force like a Star Wars, he can be lied to, he can be blasphemed against, he can be resisted, he can be grieved, he can be tested. And the Bible says don't do that, don't don't harden your heart when you hear his voice, listen carefully. It's talking about external, external sin is forgivable. But if you have a heart with all your clothing on the outside that looks respectable in Epsom, if you have a heart... This default disposition is to say, I will not bow the knee to King Jesus. I will not listen to the Bible. I will not uh, admit that the Bible is a true and exclusive word. I will not admit that Jesus is the only way for me to know God personally, to be rescued. If you say, I don't believe in that, then that is blaspheming the Holy Spirit. That's That's his work. He's the spirit of truth. He's the spirit of life. He's the one who gives life from the very beginning. And Jesus says it's his job as the spirit of truth to convince our sin-stained world about the need of a saviour, and need of Jesus. Someone's put it like this, if you have a heart that is willfully determined to oppose the present power of the Holy Spirit who works even today, then there's no hope. And let me say, if you have a tender conscience, Christians will never do that. If you have the Holy Spirit in your heart, if you are a Christian, it is impossible for you to push aside the work of the Holy Spirit. It says here that there is no forgiveness for anyone who says the work of the Holy Spirit is null and void. You've got nothing to say to me. Jesus is not needed. A Christian would never say that. So let me press you on this a little bit more. How does it look in modern day clothes? If you have something in your heart, like if you have a critical spirit that goes unchallenged and unchecked, it grows. You're just someone who loves to nitpick. Perhaps you've you've been around people who love to nitpick. If you have that default attitude in your heart, if that's your motivation to score points and that goes unchecked and unchallenged by someone else. And if you say to the Holy Spirit, you've got nothing to say to me, I don't want to change. Then there's no hope for you. That small sin can grow into a big tree where you deny the indwelling work of the Spirit and the preciousness of Jesus. If you become unapproachable by other people, I don't want to hear what you've got to say, a small thing can become a great thing. It's a very, very dangerous place to be. You can become bitter. You become become lonely because no one will want to be around you. You become like an island. You become self-dependent and you think you're self-sufficient. And only the power of repentance can break into a heart like that. Anything, absolutely anything, can be solved with the power of repentance. Nothing can be solved without repentance. Everything can be solved with it, nothing can be solved without it. There's someone in my extended family I try and call reasonably often, and I always get the, uh, the immediate um, unsatisfactory response of sorry I can't talk right now you know the automated text that people just ping back to you I can never get through to them I spoke to them uh, just recently I got through there's a chink in the armor but I got through if the Holy Spirit is working in your heart this morning do not send him a sorry I can't be attentive to you right now sorry it's not convenient for me to spend time thinking about Jesus right now the job of the Holy Spirit, his person and his work, is always to point away from himself and to King Jesus. To say, look at him, don't look at me. But do not, do not maintain an attitude of heart that desensitizes you to the work of the Holy Spirit. It's a very, very dangerous place to be. I'll just be interested in thinking about Christianity next year. It's kind of busy, Christmas, there's a lot of things going on, the kids are in school play. Don't do that. Don't push away. The Holy Spirit, if he's speaking to you even this morning, don't send him a pop-up message because you never know when he'll move on. Don't harden your heart. It's a very, very sobering passage. Anything can be solved with repentance. Nothing can be solved without it. Thirdly, finally, the danger, the danger of goodness, the danger of goodness. Do you notice who Jesus is speaking to in Matthew 12? He's speaking to religious people. He's speaking to Pharisees. This is Jesus who, verse 9, verse 12, he's done some amazing healings where the Holy Spirit indwelling Jesus Christ as, his, as a member of the Trinity, he, he's shown his glory by healing people by giving people back their sight. In, in verses 15 and following, the Holy Spirit says to Jesus to, to, to just show his glory afresh and say, look, show and tell people who you are. You're the chosen servant of God most high. You are, you are gentle. You're unlike uh, the Pharisees. And just like in every other part of the New Testament, you, you have a contrast. You have two groups of people in Matthew chapter 12. In other parts of the New Testament, you have a religious person and a non-religious person. A good person and an upstanding person. A person who believes the, per- the Bible and an outcast. You always have two groups of people. Very often it's a man and a woman. People who think they know who Jesus is and people who don't. And in every single case, it's not the religious person who sees who Jesus is. It's the outsider, it's the outcast, it's the lowly who sees who Jesus is. In other words, the message of the New Testament and certainly the message of Matthew 12 is if you know your Bible but don't know Jesus, you are more likely to miss out on who Jesus is than someone who's currently an outsider, a poor person, a lowly person. As you come to Christmas and you don't see the glory of the incarnation, God coming from heaven to earth, if that doesn't cause wonder in your heart, Starbucks won't, Costa won't, but the gospel will. If you're starting to lose the wonder of that, then that's a very dangerous place to be. Here we have religious people and they see what Jesus is doing, verse 22, verse 23, and they are saying, could this be the son of David? No, suppressor of truth. This person must be acting by the devil. There's no way he could be doing this unless the devil is in his heart and in his person. Verse 25, Jesus knows their thoughts and he speaks against them and against their false claims. Here are the Pharisees who said, there is something wrong with Israel. We need to redefine how people get to the kingdom of God. Jesus Christ has got it wrong. The way for us to pursue God is through holiness. We're going to get so many laws around uh, the Old Testament. We're just going to dredge up every single one we can think of. There's going to be one single one for every day of the year. And through our own effort, through our own religiosity, through our own praying and service, through our own giving, and acts of self-sacrifice, but not because of love, but because of works. We're gonna, we're gonna bring in the kingdom of God. Jesus has got it wrong, we've got it right. And Jesus says, no, you've got it wrong. I come in weakness, I come in love, I come in service. I come as a lowly person, not as a haughty person. The real problem, Pharisees, is not Rome. You're not gonna throw them off by the kingdom of God coming in and you causing an uprising. The real problem is in your heart you need a new heart and I've come to bring down the proud, I've come to exalt the lowly and the humble and the Pharisees can't handle that. Having Jesus does not mean that you look down on other people. Knowing Jesus does not mean that you work hard to get credit from God. Knowing Jesus does not mean you just pray certain words like the Lord's Prayer because you can, you think it might do some good. Knowing Jesus means you pray with intimacy and love and affection. Knowing Jesus means you never look down at someone. You want to share your lives with people that are hurting and lonely. It's about adoration, not just about service for the wrong reasons. And the concerning thing and the danger of goodness in this passage is this this is said to religious people, this is said to you and me, people who attend church. Do you know God personally? Do you know God intimately? Or do you just wear the religious clothing? You go to the right places, you say the right things, like the Pharisees did. Goodness can be a great barrier to knowing the gospel. Now, we could just stop there, but I don't want to, because we started our service by reading Luke 15. and Luke 15 is the parable of the prodigal son. One of the wonderful things about the power of the prodigal son is not the son, but the father. I stopped reading about the honest son who ran away, said, Father, I want you dead. I'm going to go and spend all your resources. And then he came to his senses as the spirit of God worked in his heart and he ran back home. And actually it was his father who ran out to meet him. But there was another son, the Pharisee-like son, the son who stayed at home, but whose heart was miles away from his father. He was just as disobedient, but in a different way. And there is hope for you and me if we think our hearts are hardening towards the gospel. Not because of this passage, but because of the Father's heart. God hasn't changed. God loves us all, no matter what you look like or what you've done. See the problem of forgiveness. Jesus has met our need. The holiness and the love of God coinciding on the cross. See the importance of repentance. And see the power of God's grace. So if you're feeling anxious today, am I a Christian or am I not? The very sign that you're worrying is the fact and demonstration that you are a Christian. So don't be anxious. Don't be afraid. Don't be fearful. See the love of God. Love is so vast and deep and divine. And enjoy, celebrate, even in your anxiety, that that is a sign that you're a Christian. If you're not a Christian, you won't worry. And surely that's something to be worried about. Let's pray.